0: From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.
1: Welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast, presented by BearsIllustrated.com, your home for Baylor athletics and recruiting on 24-7 sports. I'm Pernay Malampati alongside Andrew Miner. All right, this weekend Baylor had its season opener, played Albany at home. Albany's an FCS team that went 2 and 9 last year, so we kind of expected a blowout. The line was minus 42. And Baylor covered the spread. Baylor won sixty-nine to ten. Sixty-nine points they put up. And this was with a quarter and a half of, of Chiron drones. So, Andrew, I know that neither of us were kind of in the mood to watch the entire blowout, but we watched most of the game. So what were what was one of your biggest takeaways from this game? Yeah, I think I think it's the the rushing attack.
0: There's plenty of weapons uh, on on offense, uh, specifically with the run game. Um, it was the for me. It was the adjustments that Coach Dave Miranda made after halftime of um, of just getting the team back dialed in and focused to really put the game away. Not that it was ever in doubt, um, but I don't even know how I say this because the game was so good. But there was just a little bit of a you know, it felt like a walkthrough at times in the first half. Uh, I thought thought Blake Shapin took quite a bit of hits, and even though the Bears were electric, made great, uh, great plays. Kind of you know ran past the the secondary at times for for Chapin to drop in a couple of touchdown passes. Um, felt like there was some hesitancy on on the routes, um, which we kind of maybe expected that a little bit, right, with the young receiving core. Um, but just some hesitancy, some pocket collapse where Shaven where got hit or hurried a, a few too many times. Um, and after halftime, and they didn't really establish a run game in the first half. They were only at 73 yards of rushing in the first half. Uh, so they didn't really go out and establish themselves from an offensive line uh, perspective in the trenches with a strong running game. Uh, and that was immediately fixed in the second half they came out out of the locker room, no business, uh, no nonsense mentality, all business. And, uh, you know, they just blasted any hope that, uh, you know, Albany had and they did it with basically all backups as you alluded to. Um, so I, I feel very good about that game. There weren't really that many mistakes, uh, you know, um, out there. And now Baylor's got a great, uh, great match coming up with BYU. But, you know, some things that stood up to, uh, out to you, Pranay, what, you know, what, what were they uh, from your perspective watching?
1: Yeah, so I do want to touch on the offensive line a little bit because I wasn't super impressed with their performance. They still played very well. Like, not saying they didn't play well, but I don't don't think they played like one of the top five offensive lines of the country, which most people thought they were. And I still think they are, but they allowed a couple sacks. In the first half, especially, like you were saying, there weren't too many big holes for the running backs. So I, I hope. Well, they're going to need to to play better next week if they want to. We're, we're going to get to it later, but if they want to beat BYU. I, I think that was one of the things that we said
0: like on what to watch for in some of the podcasts leading up to this season opener was just like, hey, what are you expecting? What do you want to see? And I think both of us kind of said, hey, we want to see the offensive line really establish themselves, really just be dominant against this FCS opponent, really set the tone for the season, and open up holes for a solid rushing attack because of kind of the the youth that Baylor has at the skill positions, uh, quarterback and and wide receiving core. And that just didn't happen right away, but I think it obviously happened in in the second half um, there. So yeah, they didn't play poorly, but you're right. I don't think it was kind of what either one of us uh, expected per se.
1: Yeah, and, and they cleared it up a bit in the second half, and, and I, I think they cleared it up going forward. But Baylor still did score 69 points in this game. And one of, oh. the, one, and one of wow. the biggest reasons for that was the immaculate play of Baylor quarterback Blake Shapin. He played like a Heisman contender. I think that Blake Shapin is going to be A Dark Horse Heisman contender down to the wire this year. He was out there. All right. So, in the very beginning, there were a couple passes where I I got a little nervous. He threw a floater near the sideline, his first or second pass of the game, that probably would have gotten picked off if we were playing BYU or one of those Big 12 teams. But fortunately, it was the first game we're playing Albany. The catch was made and it was, I think, a first down. But then after that, he went on fire. This man was throwing darts for like 40 yard touchdowns, threw one to Baldwin, threw one to Presley. Yep. Um there might have been another one in there, but he was he was lighting it up. And and they were playing Albany, but some of these throws, they were to covered receivers. They weren't all just wide open with no one within ten yards of them. Some of them were tight coverage and and Blake Shapin threw the ball exactly where he needed to throw it. So I was super impressed by the play of Blake
0: Shapin Yeah. I, I really liked, uh, Blake, Blake Chapin's play as well. Um, I think it kind of confirmed everything that we hoped that, you know, and we, what we trusted in Dave Aranda, you know, saying, Hey, you're, you're the starter in spring. You know, I'm, I feel confident enough to name you the starter in spring ball. And he went out and, and definitely delivered. It was interesting because, um, you know the last start he had was the Big 12 Championship game against Oklahoma State. He completed 17, his first 17 passes in that game. Uh, he only threw the ball. He never threw the ball in the second half. He only played one series, so his his day was basically over in the in after the first half. And he had uh, you know 17 completions again, 17 for 20, 214 yards, and two two touchdowns. He also added that uh, that rushing touchdown right at the end there. Uh, where he went, you know, and, and dove for the pylon. So uh, unlike the end of the Big 12 championship game, uh, Blake Shapin was able to squeeze that ball, stretch that over the uh, the goal line, hit the pylon, and uh, and get it, <clears throat> get the final score. And that was kind of, you know, that was pretty big. I don't think Albany was going to come back, but um, that, you know, that kind of was just a another nail in the coffin type type thing and uh, boost of confidence for Baylor just being able to get get the job done. Uh, you know final play of the first half. They could have settled for a field goal, could have elected to trot the kicker out there uh, for a chip shot. And they, they, you know, rolled the dice, which uh, we we know Aranda likes to do. Uh, Obviously he did that in the first, uh, first quarters as, as well. And um, uh, handed the ball off a couple of times on third and one and fourth and one and was, was denied. And that was really the only thing that Baylor did wrong all night on on offense, set a short field for Albany, and and they went and scored scored a touchdown there. Did that give you any concerns of of Baylor going for it so so early and so deep in their own territory?
1: No, I don't think it gave me any concern, um, because I think it was mostly just Dave Aranda saying, "We know we're going to dominate this game. This isn't a game yeah. that's going to be close. So I want to take every opportunity." to make some gutsy calls, get some get this team some experience in key situations before their early season big game this week against BYU. Because usually you don't have – well, I wouldn't say usually, but Baylor, at least in recent times, hasn't had this big of a game this early in the season. So they've had a couple games to warm up, but Dave Aranda kind of had to get Baylor experience in every type of situation in week one so that they would have that behind them when they're probably, like they're probably going to come into some of these situations against BYU. So you want that experience with this squad. Um, and I want to, I want to talk about that, that play Blake Shaven made to dive into the end zone. Um, first of all, yeah, that was another gutsy decision by Dave Miranda. Baylor was up 28, seven, but again, he just wanted to, I think he just wanted to get, Failure that ex- that experience in a, a key goal line situation,
0: but yeah, prepping for down the road. I agree. I agree with you.
1: Yeah, but I two of those plays at the goal line worried me. Blake Shapin took off a couple of plays before the <laughs> pylon dive. He took off, got a first down, and he just got absolutely annihilated by two Albany defenders. They sandwiched him. It looked pretty bad to me. I was definitely worried for a little bit there about whether Blake Shapen got hurt, but fortunately he was healthy. And and Blake Shapin, I know you're not listening, but we know you're tough. You don't need to make these plays, man. We're gonna we're gonna win a lot of these games. We don't need you to go out there and get hurt. And I think one of the announcers said it best. He said the job of a quarterback is not to play on Saturday, it's to play every Saturday. And we need Blake Shapin every Saturday if this team is going to reach its potential. He hurt his shoulder in the first half of the Oklahoma State game, which put that game in jeopardy. Because I think Baylor probably would have coasted to victory if Blake Shapin hadn't gotten hurt. So we need Blake Shapen to stay healthy, and I'd rather I'd rather not get a first down or not get a couple of yards than Blake Shapin get hurt and the season possibly goes down the tank
0: yeah yeah i might have to disagree with you on that big 12 championship game uh i'm not sure if it would have been a coast job in the second half remember all three of their touchdowns in the first half i think were set up by baylor interceptions but neither here or there it's important for for blake to stay healthy of course um i was i was worried when he when he took the cheap shot on the on the bootleg um uh, there, there in the first half. I've, if you're, if you recall the play that I'm talking about, he, he handed the ball off, rolled out, you know, as a, as a fake. Oh boot, yeah. You know,
1: yeah. I remember it. what you're talking about.
0: By the Albany defender actually got called for targeting. Originally they reviewed it. They reversed the targeting, but still, you know, enforced the 15 yard personal foul. Uh, it was a blatant cheap shot that D de- decleated uh, Blake there, but, um, you know, He's all he's all good I think I think Ben Sims uh, hurt his hand um or it looked like he hurt his hand at one point but i I don't think that took him out of the game so from an injury perspective I think they're doing well um, they rested Christian Morgan and they rest, um, and uh, to, to heal Keith right from the offensive line um
1: yeah so. they, I, I saw that it was because of a lingering injury so hopefully he plays next week but maybe I hope it was just rest
0: hopefully yeah hopefully but I think case in point I think I think Baylor got out of there without without you know healthy right without any injuries um what did you think about the the running the running game uh did any backs impress you basically uh, uh one two three four five six six different guys scored touchdowns and Baylor scored seven touchdowns on the ground any uh any running backs that would impress you? Uh, because I think we're still, you know, waiting for like a true starter, a true workhorse to kind of emerge from the pack.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, Monterey Baldwin had another fifty-yard jet sweep run for a touchdown, so yeah. that certainly impressed me again. Um, but Richard Reese impressed me. He looked explosive in, in the plays that he got, and then Tay, oh. Tay McWilliams. He while he he didn't have, I don't think he had like any big runs. But I still think that he's going to be that workhorse guy, that that guy who will just get you four yards a carry and and help you drive down the field methodically.
0: Yeah, Richard Reese was definitely impressive. I think Quaylon uh, Jones was impressive to me as well. Um, yeah, get some. Yeah, you know, he's just a big upperclassman running back as well. Um, yeah, you know, that that could be a, a potentially a, just another workhorse, but along with Tay, Mick uh, Williams. So, um, yeah, Baylor, Baylor did a lot of things right that game. They, with the exception of a missed extra point, uh, but, and they only got forced one turnover. So they extended their, uh, their streak of forcing at least one turnover to 23 straight games. Uh, that set up a short field early. And then Gavin Holmes, uh, uh, with the punt, 72-yard punt return, all of a sudden it's 21-0. That happened very, very quick in the blink of an eye, right? Blake, shape, and bond to Baldwin. Fumble um, to force up a short field and squirrel to get that, that touchdown, which was great to see. I think a lot of fans were happy about that. And then uh, the punt return for a uh, touchdown really just, you know, it was over before it started.
1: Yeah, it was definitely nice to see Squirrel Williams get get that touchdown after his injury issues in recent years. But <clears throat> again, Baylor won sixty nine to ten, and I, I mentioned it a bunch of times, but have big game on Saturday against BYU, which we will get to our early thoughts on on that Baylor BYU game in segment three. But first, in segment two after the break, we're gonna share our takeaways from the rest of week one's college football games welcome back into the bears illustrated podcast now we're going to talk about all the happenings around week one of college football we had some crazy games on saturday i mean we ever. unc app state like 63 to 61 we had nc state win by one point over east carolina we had Utah and Florida go down to the wire, and and what might have been the biggest game of week one. We even had Georgia absolutely stomp Oregon. But let's start with a Texas game. Let's start with Houston and UTSA, and the triple overtime, the triple overtime game that happened between the number twenty-four ranked team in Houston and the unranked UTSA Roadrunners.
0: Yeah, yeah, you threw me for, uh, threw a curveball at me there. You said Texas, and I thought we were going to talk about Quinn Ewers, but no, 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 there are some, <laughs> the ranked Texas team is in is in Houston, and they're playing the Alamo Dome against UTSA. Uh, a lot of lead-up to this one, a lot of public uh, kind of like sparring battle with Dana Holgerson saying like uh, UTSA just pumps in crowd noise to the, you know, the Alamo Dome, and um you know but i think this was a, a terrific game it was on a, a like a lower tv network you know that i think maybe not a lot of people had access to but both quarterbacks were amazing clayton tune um, had that diving ultimately game winning two point conversion uh you know touchdown scramble but he threw for three touchdowns and then frank harris for for the roadrunners threw for over 330 yards and three touchdowns uh you know utsa was up in the fourth quarter and then Houston scored 17 straight points, and Roadrunners had to, you know, construct a game-tying drive to just force overtime, and then, of course, they went three overtimes, uh, and then the new, you know, two-point conversion, uh, you know, rules there. UTSA couldn't get a uh, a two-point conversion converted to extend it to a fourth or or a fifth. So uh, Houston, just one of those teams, one of those ranked teams this weekend that were just by the hair, you know, surviving by the hair of their Change chin, chin, the skin of their teeth. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on on that game or, um, you know, or, or if you wanted to just jump right into another team that you mentioned that ranked and surviving by the skin of their teeth in NC State against East Carolina, because that was a wild game as well.
1: Yeah, that was a wild game as well, and the difference in that NC State game was special teams. NC State won 21-20, to and they had a blocked punt for a touchdown. And then at the end of the game, NC State is up by a touchdown. East Carolina goes down the field and ties the game, or so we thought. They score the touchdown, make it 21-20, to and then miss the extra point. But it doesn't end there. East Carolina somehow gets the ball back and gets another chance to win the game with a 41-yard field goal, and they missed that kick as well. So three special teams plays caused a turnaround of 11 points and helped NC State survive this battle against their in-state rival, East Carolina, and keep their college football playoff hopes alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that they would have been decimated uh, if they did. And you're right. It came down to special teams. Uh, The Wolfpack were up 21 to seven at half. And the only reason East Carolina is back in this game is because North Carolina state fumbled at the goal line in the second half and then got denied stuff from a fourth and goal at the goal line later in the second half. And then threw an interception with five minutes remaining uh, to, to give East Carolina new life to, drive you know drive a relatively shorter field uh and score a touchdown but then they shank the the extra point um uh a, a la the the saints against jacksonville way back um way back in the day Blank on the year i think it might have been oh one but look that up look that up on youtube uh just type in saints miss extra point versus jacksonville and laterals or something like that uh you know, same keeping the same state, same conference, just maybe up the road. I'm not sure where the geography is, but, uh, you know, up the road, UNC Appalachian State, probably maybe the game of the day, definitely the most fun game of, of the day uh, to, to kick off college football on a Saturday. That was back and forth. Looked to be over a couple of different times, and this was one of your kind of, hey, upset alert, what to watch for. Be careful, Tar Heels. Uh this was a fun one. What? How did you digest this one, Fernet?
1: I digested this one with a bunch of offense, because that's all this game was. It was Drake May and App State's quarterback Chase Bryce, I think, just going back and forth. I mean, App State looked like they were out of it. They were down like forty-five to. 21 or something, something like that, and they put up... 21 to start the fourth quarter. Yeah, and then what? They put up 28 points in the fourth... I think they put up, like, actually, like, 35 points. 40. How many points did they put up in the fourth quarter? Oh, 40 points.
0: Actually, they scored 40 points in the fourth <laughs> they quarter. scored
1: 40 points in the fourth <laughs> quarter. Yeah, that, and, that match checks out. Yeah. Yeah and, yeah. and then 22 for the Tar Heels. And the way this game ended, though... Uh, App State drove down the field. We thought they tied the game, but instead they decided to go for two when they were down one. They missed that two-point conversion on an errant throw because they had a wide-open receiver in the end zone, and the ball goes over his head. He falls down. And we're like, oh, I I guess it's over. Go for the onside kick, which no one expects them to get, and they don't get it, but UNC does get it and takes it back for a touchdown. And is up eight points, and then Ab gets the ball back, goes down the field and scores a touchdown again, and then has a chance to tie it again with a two point conversion, and they don't get this two point conversion either and and lose the game sixty three to sixty one. But I mean, talk about an entertaining game for week one. That was definitely my my game of week one. But I know that yours was different. So you want to talk about Utah, wow. Florida? Yeah, can I talk about?
0: I want to talk about Utah, Florida, but let me give you the transition that I want to make to that because I think it's important. So UNC App State, of course, forty points for App State, that, and that was that was on the road for North Carolina. Uh, App State has one of the most beautiful stadiums in college football, also um, just as a side note. But App State scores forty. Just you're never out of it in college football. It doesn't matter what team you are, you're never out of it. The game's never over until it's over. Throwback sixty-one fifty-eight. Appalachian state scores 40, 40 points. And then they score a touchdown with literally 31 seconds left. Right. And they go for the two point conversion, which I totally, totally agree with. I think that was a good call. Try to go for the win right there. There's about 30 seconds left. The guy falls down as a mixed miscommunication stops running, falls down. It reminded me of Northwestern Michigan, 2000 uh, Northwestern was down, <clears throat> down. They had a wide, you know, a fourth down play had a, Person wide open in the end zone, drops the ball, lost in the lights. Uh, what have you it looked like? Michigan won the game with you know a minute left, and it looked like it was over. Not so fast. Michigan fumbled, and and fortunes change in an instant. And that's how the fortunes change for Appalachian State because not only did North Carolina take the onside kick back for a touchdown, they got a celebration penalty, so they kicked it off. the student kickoff from the twenty yard line. At the Mountaineers return to the midfield and then boom boom Chase Bryce, uh you know gets gets another touchdown and then of course stopped on on the two- point conversion that they had to go for because they' were, because they're down by two at that point. Uh, so it just it's just never over never over until until it's over. and how I wanted to make this transition to my game of the week, Utah Florida, was that I, I fully support Appalachian State going for two going for the win. At the end there, 30 seconds left the first time, right? Utah, number seven against Florida in the swamp. That's a tough environment no matter how good uh, Florida is expected to be, which hopefully Florida is is really good and can can match Georgia's level this year uh, for hopefully an entertaining SEC East uh, uh, challenge. We'll see. But in this game, right – Florida wins 29-26 on a last-minute interception in the end zone against uh, that, that cam rising through for the for the Utes. But <clears throat> Florida was or Utah was uh was down 14-13. They score a touchdown in the second half to make it 19 to, to 14. Early in the second half, early in the third quarter, they decide to go for two. They're chasing points way too early on the road. They go for two and they fail. Uh so now now they they've lost that point and they've given momentum to florida right uh and ultimately down down the road you know of that game they're down 3 as they're driving so a touchdown they have to score a touchdown to win it which is why cam rising is still throwing and trying to get to the end zone uh in the in those final plays there uh instead if they didn't chase the points and they just kicked the pat then they would have been in a position it likely would have been 28, 27, Florida, and Utah would have been in a position where they could have melted the clock down, played conservative, and gone for a win on the road with a field goal. So you can't. People do this all the time. People have this debate all the time in college football specifically, but you just can't chase points that early on the road um, because you don't know what's going to happen, and points are so valuable. To, to me, that was the wrong decision to go for two points so early uh, in that second half. Uh, but it, it made for a tremendous game, and uh, you know, I think we disres— I think a lot of people disrespected just the SEC East uh, as a whole, uh, with Florida and then uh, with with Georgia, the defending national champions.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of want to get to to Georgia and the college football playoff race as early as it is in the season. Um, but with Georgia absolutely blowing out Oregon, and then with Ohio State holding on to beat Notre Dame 21-10, to a game that was much tighter than people expected, than certainly oh. I expected. I, this this might not be this the college football season that everyone was thinking it would end up being, which was a national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State with one of those teams coming out on top. Now, with Ohio State not looking like they are As lethal of an offense as everyone expected them to be. Granted, Jackson Smith and Jigba went out in the first quarter, but even without him, they have CJ Stroud, who should be the Heisman, who was the Heisman favorite and should be the best quarterback or second best quarterback in the country, and Trevion Henderson, who's another Heisman contender and, and arguably the best running back in college football. They should have been able to put a lot more points on Notre Dame if they were actually. The clear second best team in the country, but now not only do I think are they not the second best team in the country, I, I still have to give Georgia and Alabama their respect. I think that a team like Baylor has a shot to beat an Ohio State. A team mm-hmm. like we haven't seen Clemson play yet; they play Monday night. But Dabo Sweeney's crew, if if, if they can get their quarterback situation figured out, I think they have a chance to overtake Ohio State. I, I yeah. this is a very interesting college football playoff scenario now that ohio state doesn't look like it's a clear playoff lock.
0: pranay i think you're absolutely right we undervalued georgia and we overvalued ohio state if these uh weekend this weekend's results uh, are any indication of how this season's going to play out but it was it was really interesting to me to see Georgia throttle number 11 Oregon um again a de facto home game for the Bulldogs but defending national champion Stetson Bennett went went off um and then on the flip side Ohio State playing at the horseshoe uh number five Notre Dame we may have undervalued Notre Dame a little bit with a first year head coach um the, the Irish were really good defensively and that was just a you know almost a defensive stalemate for, for a while before you know Ohio State finally broke through, got a touchdown at the end of the third quarter, and then used a 95, 96-yard uh, drive to really put the game away. That chewed up seven minutes uh, off the clock and really put the game, made it a two-score game, put the game away uh, at the end. So I, I think ultimately Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama are pretty much the clear Clear favorites, and and they should coast. So I think if you're just a general college football fan, you're 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 rooting for someone to upset uh, one, if not all of those teams this season. Um, but it was, you know, it was interesting to to see those those games transpire. Uh...